Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. We strive to lead people to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Our goal is to tear down the walls that have kept people away from church to help them build a relationship with God, our Creator. We are so glad you're tuning in today. We hope and pray that this leads you to Jesus and His path for your life. So, without further ado, here is today's teaching. Uh, last week was crazy for me. I spent six days at Camp Raven Knob, which is a Boy Scout camp in Mount Airy, North Carolina. Any Boy Scouts in the house, former Boy Scouts, grew up as Boy Scouts? Yeah, a few of you out there. Um, Boy Scouting is a, is a cool organization. My son is in right now. I'm a leader in his troop, and I got to be up there uh, just walking mile after mile in the mountains just to do the different things. Uh, today, uh, we are taking a group, I think five or six, uh, from Venture Church to Washington, North Carolina for another week of summer camp. This will be church camp. Uh, men who were at our men's retreat back in March. It'll be the same location, Roanoke Christian Camp. Um, and so I'll be leading that group. I'm the dean of that week. We've got about 25 staff members. I'm hoping about 100 high school students. Uh, that just tells you something about me as I, uh, I am a glutton for punishment, I guess. I don't know like what I'm thinking. I'm poor at planning my summer vacation, two weeks of camp in a row. Um, but I want to get back to uh, last week, summer camp, Boy Scout camp, because Boy Scouts is an interesting organization. It's been in the news a lot recently. I won't even get into that. I got feelings. I got opinions. You don't care about them. Um, but it, as an organization, it's fantastic. The, the way that they take young men and help build their character and their skills, I'm all in on it. I love it. Um, and just as, you, as I was at scout camp last week, it's like getting in a time machine and going back to like the 1950s just to see boys, young men, disciplined, like wearing uniforms to meals and like having these certain core virtues that everybody's all around. It's, it's just so cool to see this. And as a scouting try to, tries to implement these uh, character traits into the boys, they've got a couple of tools for that. One of them is the scout uh, law. And if you were a Boy Scout, you might remember it was ingrained in you. There are things that a scout is. A scout is trustworthy. In fact, if you know him, you can say him. A scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. What a great list. Who wouldn't want to be those things? And there's also several other tools that they use. There's an oath that the boys do at their meetings. There's an outdoor code that they recite. As I look at all that, I look at scouting as an organization, I'm glad to have my son in there. But there's something that kind of, this past week I was noticing. Just because a boy's wearing a uniform or coming to camp or going to the meetings doesn't necessarily mean that their character is being changed and built. Because there's something deeper that has to go in inside of them. There have to be people pouring into them and there has to be a decision in their mind going like, I'm gonna do these things. Just wearing a uniform and showing up at meeting doesn't, mean that the uh, character is building. There's something deeper. It takes work. And it's that thought that I want to kind of kick into our, our lesson today because you've seen this in your life. You've seen this in all the things that you've done. You don't just uh, sign up for college and get a degree. No, you've got to go to class and pass your tests, you know, and you've got to do good and you've got to do the work that it takes to get that degree. You don't just sign up for marriage and then live happily ever after. No, what does it take? work. If you thought the answer was love, that's not the right answer. It takes work to have a happy marriage. And, 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 so, and this is true in so many areas of our life. We can't just put on the uniform. We can't just put on the jersey. We can't just sign the paper or wear the ring and be like, I'm good. No, there's something deeper that goes on. There's something that wrestles inside of us and it takes work. And so with that, we're rolling along in our summer teaching series that we're calling Walk the Walk. 
We're in week seven of nine weeks, and it's, whenever we're in one of these longer teaching series, I'm always blown away when we get near the end, because when I start teaching them, I'm like, it's never going to end, nine whole weeks talking about the same thing, but it's been a great journey. As we want to walk the walk, we say as a church, we don't want to just talk the talk, we want to walk the walk, we want to be about it, and as our guide, we've been using Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, where we get this, uh, this kind of list of these virtues, that if we want to walk the walk, stay in step with God's spirit in our lives, there's some things that need to come out of our lives. I just want to read that for you. It's kind of our anchor passage for the series. It's going to be on the screen behind me. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. We talked about it. We call it patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. And the next verse says, if you want to uh, walk with the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Walk the walk. And we've unpacked a lot of these for the first several weeks. We did love and joy, peace, patience. I took a week to step back and we looked at the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Like if we're going to be talking about these things that come from God's Spirit, who is that? How does he work in our life? Uh, Last week, I was thrilled to have uh, a guest speaker in here, uh, Caleb Darden. Just, man, it was great to have you doing that. And he talked about gentleness and to step back and see what does it mean to kind of have that in our lives through God's Holy Spirit. And that's where we've been. We've been trying to go, kind of going virtue by virtue and unpacking them. This week, we're actually going to step back. And we're not going to look at the next virtue, which uh, we kind of skipped ahead into gentleness. Goodness and kindness would be next. And here's the thing, that as I really began to dig into goodness and kindness, I thought, I think we basically get goodness and kindness. Like, you know what it means to be good. You know what it means to be kind. That's, that's, it's, it's not rocket science. It's more of, an, it's more of an, uh, an undergirding of all these other principles. And so instead of talking about goodness and kindness today, I want to step back and talk about probably a bigger question. If it's our goal to bear fruit in our life, I think the question that we really need to ask ourselves is, how do we bear fruit? Like, I can't just say, you know what? You, you should be a doctor. You should be a doctor. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll be a doctor. No, is there steps to that? Like you want to get good grades starting in the first grade <laughs> and work all the way. Like there's, there's like, there's all these things that you need to do. You should be, you know, a construction worker. Well, you might want to learn how to hammer a nail first. Like there's steps and there's things you can do to get to this thing. And it's, it's not fair to just say, you should bear good fruit in your life. Okay, but where do I start? What are the steps? How do we do that? We're going to be digging into that today. And every week we love to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. So today we're going to learn from Jesus himself. We're going to be in John chapter 15. If you've got a Bible, please grab it, flip over or scroll down on your device. Uh, we got free Bibles we give away in the lobby if you want to go grab one or at least get one before you leave. Everyone needs a good readable version of the Bible. And we're going to be in John, which is a biography of Jesus's life. And we're following along during his teaching and his ministry and his travels. And in John chapter 15, Jesus is doing some hardcore teaching on what it looks like to be a disciple. What does it look like to be a believer? What does it look like to be a Christian? Actually, as we asked the question, who is the Holy Spirit? We got a lot of that from this same teaching. But we're gonna be in John chapter 15, starting at verse one. And Jesus is actually gonna talk about the very thing we've been talking about this whole summer, fruit, bearing fruit. Look at this, chapter 15, verse one. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father, he's the gardener. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Let's just leave that up there for a minute. Uh, I'm reading a book with my kids right now. uh, And it's funny, there's this one main character and he talks about the Bible at one time in the book. And he calls the Bible the farming and fishing book. 
And uh, I think that's a kind of a clever way to think about the Bible, the farming and fishing book, because from cover to cover, like the main characters in the Bible, what do they do for a living? Most of them are farmers or fishermen or, or shepherds. A few of them are like, you know, aristocratic, you know, like, but most of them are like, I'm ag- agricultural and I'm blue collar and I'm doing that kind of thing. What is the content of so much of the teaching? Metaphors and teaching that either happen around or through Farming or fishing. And so to call it the farming and fishing book is great. And it makes sense as we look at this thing from Galatians, our anchor passage, the fruit of the spirit, that when we produce stuff in our life, we would call it fruit. As Jesus is talking to this audience, they would get that. So many of them for their living, they're farming, they're fishing. And so when he talks about my father is the gardener, and I'm the vine, and you're the branches, and you need to bear good fruit. Here's the first thing that I think so many of them would remember and know about, that farming is hard work. I don't know if you grew up on a farm or worked uh, in, in a large garden, or maybe you just try to garden right now like as a hobby, but it's a lot of work. Months and months of preparation and planning, countless days of hard labor to prepare the soil. Uh, you've got large, you know, at this point, large tractors and stuff. You've got to learn how to operate weeks and weeks of caring for the little baby plants just to make sure they make it through that kind of adolescent stage and can kind of live on their own. And then after that, you still got to weed and you got to get rid of the pests and you got you to take care of the plants. And it's all that work, all that work that finally leads to the day that is the harvest. And you get to go out and you get to enjoy the fruits of your what? Your labor. It's not the fruits of the tree. It's the fruits of the labor. And that's why we call it that because farming is hard work. And I love that Jesus says, listen, I am the vine, but my father, he's the farmer. He's working on you. He's working hard on you. He's pulling weeds. He's picking off pests. And he's pouring into you the nutrients that you need. He is the farmer. A lot of times when we read this passage, it's easier for us to focus on kind of what I would see as maybe the negative side of what Jesus said. So we still got it up there. And there's a section up there like, you know what? If you're not bearing fruit, he's going to cut you off. And maybe you grew up in church where like that was the preacher's favorite thing to talk about. In fact, later in this passage, he says, no branches are going to throw those branches in the fire judgment and consequences are real. I do not want to underemphasize those. I don't want to skip over them. But I do know that if the father is the farmer, and you've ever known a farmer, what is his goal for the plants? That they produce fruit. He's not getting all excited about burning half the crops down. He wants to pour into these little plants and help them produce fruit. Uh, in fact, Jesus says that when we're showing fruit, the farmer will come in and prune the branches. The question we're asking today is, how do I produce fruit? And here's one big answer. God does a lot of the work in our lives for us when we let him. And one of the big things he does when he begins to prune us is that when we accept Jesus into our life as our savior, when, when we're immersed in him in baptism, when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, when this happens, there is an initial pruning that happens. God takes all the guilt of all the sin that we had before that moment and he wipes it clean. And all the sideways energy that was going into that in our lives and producing other kinds of fruit in our lives, he says, I want to give you a clean slate. I want to give you a chance to produce healthy, God-honoring fruit in your life. He forgives our sin. And then he does this. He teaches us habits through Jesus' teaching. He teaches us habits that will lead to more godliness in our life. And so if you read and understand the teachings of Jesus, we begin this process of letting the farmer pour into us and be more fruitful in our lives. And so um, that's the first thing to understand. God is the farmer and it takes work to produce fruit. 
but he's doing the work. Last summer, I did something I'd never done before. I went to an apple orchard, and I've picked apples off of my grandma had an apple tree, and I've picked apples before, but not in an orchard where you're walking through and you're like getting baskets and bushels and I don't even know what you call these measurements, but you're getting, and, it's, and you're walking through, you're like, these are good, oh, it's such good apple, and you know, this is a big red one, mm, it's so sweet, and this little tart green one, oh, you should taste this one, the little yellow ones, they just, then these are going to a pie, and you're just like, you're, you're talking up the fruit, and it's so good, and you're walking through there, and while I was out there, raving about the apples, and how good they were, and appreciating the trees that they came from, it occurred to me something. I had not even thought about the farmer. How often do we eat produce? And we rave about the fruit. Have you had these tomatoes? These tomatoes are so good. The strawberries over at Lewis Farm, oh, the strawberries are so good. Man, have you tasted this corn? It's amazing. It didn't just get there by itself. No, there, there is a farmer and his staff who for months, if, if not generations, have been pouring into this land, been cultivating this land, all so that we can have the tasty fruit that comes out of it. And when Jesus says, God is the farmer, I mean, he's already been pouring. He's already been cultivating. He's already been working. And it looks on the outside like, I don't know that I could do the work to be what God wants me to be. And then I love verse three. Let's look at it. Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Check this out, guys. Like when we come to Jesus and we got all our mess and it takes a mess to clean this up, He's like, don't worry about it. I'm the farmer. I know how to use all the tools and I will come into your life and you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And I don't know about you. I think this is true about most of in this room, but I want to walk the walk. But when I see a list like Galatians 5 that says, man, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all these things, I'm like, Yeah, but that doesn't describe me all the time. I'm not hitting all the checkpoints on that list. I'm not sure that I've even got what it takes to walk the walk, to keep in step with the Spirit. I mean, the Spirit is big and strong and holy and fast, and how could I keep up with that? And I might occasionally do all right. I mean, even bad people do good, right? Even mean people can be kind. Even people with so much doubt and and, and skepticism in their life can have faith. But to do it all the time? I, I can't pull that off, can you? But it's so important for us, to, as we ask the question, how do I bear fruit, to realize there's a farmer doing work in your life. We talked about that two weeks ago. Who is the Holy Spirit? This is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a fruit of the, hello, my name is fill in the blank. It's not your fruit. You're the, you're the, you're the tool that God can use in this world, but God comes in and he begins to do the work in our heart. Jesus talks a lot about the soil of our life. And that depending on how healthy the soil in our life is, it depends on how we can impact the world. But here's the beautiful thing. He can come into that soil and he can till it up and he can add the nutrients that we need. He can put people in our life that allows that to become more fertile and more fertile. And as we begin to produce small amounts of fruit, he can begin to prune us and allow us to produce even more fruit. You've seen how this works? Having the farmer in our life helps us to be what God wants us to be. God is the farmer and he is he's a good farmer. You're a good, good farmer. (laughs) Sorry, I was getting serious there. I had to kind of break. Um, Here's the thing about farming. You can't fake it. You can't fake farming. If you went to the farmer's market and you went to the corn stand and the dude had a bunch of postcards with like pictures of corn on it, 
Come on. And it's half price, guys. No, you don't eat that. You can't fake farming. Either you show up with the fruit or you don't. And here's what I've seen about God's farming. He shows up with the fruit. He is taking people who are totally far from him, totally broken, totally ruined in their whatever, whether it's something that they did in their own life or something that just was lumped onto them. And God gets into those lives and he causes them to grow and to blossom and to become the beautiful creation that he intended for them to be. And he keeps on working as we decide to follow Jesus. And it doesn't stop for the rest of our lives. It's a beautiful thing. The farmer's goal is for you to bear fruit. But there's a difference between me and you and the apple tree, okay? I'm in the apple orchard. These apples are doing great. You know why? Because the farmer's doing the right thing to the soil and he's got the right water and the sunlight's there. That's happening and that just happens. It's just science. But we're different than the trees in that we can say, no, thank you. We can look at the farmer and be like, I'd, I'd rather not. I know I've done that. Knowing, knowing this is what I should do right now and going, eh, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. And I think that's why Jesus, in verse four, he keeps on going. Jesus gives this advice. He says, so remain in me. You can walk away from me if you want to, but that's, that's stupid. <laughs> remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you want to walk the walk and have this kind of fruit in your life, I mean, you can't have fruit without staying connected to Jesus. It's impossible. Jesus did the hard work on the cross. The Holy Spirit has been knocking on your heart's door. God the Father created all this. And understand, we talked about two weeks ago, this isn't like three gods. This is God. There's one God. And he's interacting in our lives so many different ways. And he says, remain in me. Remain in me. That phrase sounds awful lot like keep in step with the Spirit. All throughout the Bible, God's saying, eyes on me, <laughs> Pay attention. Look at what I'm telling you in my life. Stay here. Remain in me. God in the flesh says, remain in me. My favorite part of Jesus' teaching here is when he says, a branch can bear fruit. Sorry, no branch can bear fruit on its own. Uh, last week, while I was up at the, the, the camp in the mountains, um, I did a ton of walking. There's all these trails and we're in the mountains and it was like, it was, it was a mile literally from my campsite down to where some of the first workshops were for some of the kids to go to, a whole mile. And so we're walking tons of miles. Uh, and one, uh, one day I was walking on this, I was hiking up this trail. I was actually playing disc golf, uh, which is what is, is hiking, but where you keep score. And um, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful day, beautiful disc golf course, but we were walking and we walked across this wild blueberry bush. And if you've ever come across wild blackberries, wild blueberries, some kind of fruit that you could eat, and you're just like, you feel like Adam and Eve. You're like, what? Who put this here? You know, I just found this. And um, so, but, and we're, we're like gorging on, you know, blah, 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 and we're just filling up with blueberries. And it was great. Now, here's the thing. This is intuitive. You know this, but let's pretend you don't. Let's say I enjoy these blueberries. I'm like, dude, my wife has got to taste these blueberries. I got to get her some of these blueberries. Now, I could, A, collect some blueberries and try to keep them good until I get back home, or B, this would be brilliant, grab my pocket knife and cut off a big old branch and take the branch back to my wife. And we'd put it on the kitchen table and we would have blueberries for the rest of our life. That's not how it works. If the branch is not connected to the bush, which is connected to the roots, which is connected to the nutrients and getting the sunlight and the water, if it's not doing that, it will not produce fruit. Now, here's the thing. You're not stupid. You know that. 
But isn't that how we live our spiritual life sometimes? I, I don't need people. I don't need to really do what God wants me to do in my life. I don't need to pray. Really, that's just what you know, super religious people do. I don't need to read my Bible. Like, and maybe you don't actually say those things out loud. Like, I don't say those things out loud, but I can't tell you how many times I've been like, it's been like 10 days since I cracked my, cracked my Bible open. I, shoot, I'm not gonna grow if I'm not in the word. It's been, I got this big thing going on in my life. I haven't even prayed about it. Jesus says, remain in me. And you, you cannot produce fruit if you're not connected to the vine. As a church family, we've got to do better than that. If we want to shine the light of God into this city and make a difference into, in the lives of people who are hurting and broken and far from God, we can't just run out like a branch laying on the kitchen table. Hey, something good happened in my life. Let me tell you about it. But we're not continuing to stay connected to Jesus. It's not going to happen. If you want to grow spiritually, we've got to stay tuned in to what God is doing in this world world and what the spirit is trying to do in your life. And that's what it means to walk the walk. That's what Jesus means when he says, remain in me. Um, but like most important things, it is way easier to say it than to do it. When I was a kid, I said, I'm going to be a professional baseball player. I'm going to let you know that didn't work out. You can't just say it, which leads to a bigger question. How do I do it? How do I remain in Jesus? How do I keep in step with his spirit? How do I walk the walk? How do I produce fruit? Um, well, as we wrap things up today, I wanna give us kind of something super practical. This is the thing I said you might wanna write down. Uh, there's gonna be a challenge that I'm issuing right now. Uh, every couple months, some kind of viral challenge jumps up on the internet. Have you noticed that? If you're on social media, you see it. Maybe you call it through the news. Uh, there's these challenges like... If, I guess it's been a couple years since it started, but remember the ice bucket challenge? I guess people are maybe still doing that. Um, but, you know, they're raising awareness. You dump water on your head or ice on your head and you post it on the internet and you tag other people. They have to do it too. It raises awareness for uh, Lou Gehrig's disease and it's been a pretty cool thing. Uh, those are kind of some serious challenges. There's funny challenges. Do you remember the mannequin challenge? It went around last year. Like the mannequin challenge was like, everyone stands really still and somebody else walks around on the camera and like it's just this really weird you know, 3D snapshot of something happening. And there was always one person who ruined it because they were like, you know. Um, the mannequin challenge, there's, there's some silly ones. There's um, some dangerous ones. I remember, and I looked it up again just this weekend to, to make sure it was true, and yeah, it totally was true. Do you remember the taser challenge? These were kids, they would put forks in their mouth and they'd get a taser and they would tase the fork. And you were like, how does the human race survive? I don't understand how we keep making it. Um, but... Like this is, this is a challenge. We're not doing that as a church. I'm saying let's not do that. But today I wanna, I wanna kick off a challenge that we're gonna do for a week, okay? We're gonna put it on our social media, on Facebook, and, and, uh, and it'll go out to our other forms as well. Uh, and we're gonna call it the Daily Walk Challenge. The Daily Walk Challenge, because it's hard. The farmer's doing a lot of work in your life. He is, but unlike the apple tree, you gotta choose to be in on it. And so this is the Daily Walk Challenge. It's five things, and they're super simple, but sometimes you just got to be reminded of the super simple stuff. And th this, is, this is what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to, to do it in your own life for at least the next five days. I hope that it becomes a habit. They say, you know, if you do something for like three weeks, it'll become a habit. I want you to, when you see it posted on our social media, I want you to share it, or I want you to do it on your own. I want you to talk to your other friends that are believers and say, hey, I'm doing this thing. Will you hold me accountable for it? Will you do it with me? I want you as spouses to get together and say, listen, let's do this together. I want you to get with your 
your families and say, let's do this together. It is simple. Everyone in this room can do this. Even if this is your first time ever at church, you can do this because it's all about saying, if God is the farmer and I need to be connected to him, how do I do that? Here's the first part of this challenge and it's simple. Daily prayer. All throughout the Bible, we see people praying to God, but I can't tell you how often I've been in my own life and been like, I haven't really prayed about this thing that's going on in my life. Daily prayer. There's some small examples of daily prayer that you could start with, especially if you don't pray. Um, pick a time a day where you just stop to thank God for something. And we, you know, we teach our kids, you know, pray for meals. Maybe you've got kind of a rote prayer that you do this and memorize, God is great, God is good kind of prayer. I want you to put that one on hold, okay? That, I want you to put the memorized one on hold. And I just want you to take a second to actually think about and thank God for something. And it doesn't have to be complicated. God, um, man, thanks that I paid my car payment this month. That was great. I didn't think I was going to make it. Boom. You just prayed. Now, if you do that once a day, every day for the next five weeks, you will begin to tap into the vine that is Jesus. I don't want you to end there, but if that's where you need to start, that's okay. Maybe the next step that you can take is this. This is really pivotal. If you know that you're not staying connected to God like you should, maybe you could pray about that. God, I don't even know how to do this. Will you please give me the strength and the wisdom and the knowledge and maybe some friends to help me do this? Pray, daily prayer. That's the first one, pretty simple, uh, daily prayer. The second one is this, daily one-on-one time with God. Now, if we're gonna talk at God, you need to be willing to listen. And if you've been in a serious relationship and you were the talker and it didn't last long, it might be because you never shut up. And we do that with God all the time. Gimme, 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 gimme. And we just go, 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 go to God, God, God. And he's like, why don't you just shut up and listen to me for a second? I believe God says that. And I don't believe it's blasphemous to say so. God will like, will you shut your yapper and listen to what I'm telling you? And a great way to find that out is to read his Bible. Uh, there's other ways you can do it. This is the way I want to frame it for our, our challenge. Read your Bible. Daily one-on-one time with God. Now, you don't have to read a whole book of the Bible. You don't have to read a t- half of the Bible or whole Bible right now. I want to encourage you to read maybe a chapter of the Bible every day. If you can't handle that, a couple verses. But here's my challenge. Since we're trying to get to know the vine, Jesus, let's try to find some content that's got to do with Jesus himself. And so uh, here are two suggestions. The book of Mark, the shortest biography of Jesus that we have in the Bible. And uh, you could read it easily in five days or half of it or five chapters. That's fine. Learn something about Jesus by reading the book of Mark. Another one that would be great is to get in the book of Matthew. Start in chapter four. That's the chapter where we see Jesus kind of start his earthly ministry. Chapters five, six, and seven are this big sermon he does called the Sermon on the Mount. And he covers a lot of different things that we can do in our life. And then chapter eight, he starts doing some miracles. You can really get to know Jesus through Matthew four through eight. So uh, that's just the next five days. You could do that. So we want to be in daily prayer. We want to have daily one-on-one time where we can let God speak back to us. Third one is huge especially when it comes to farming, daily repentance. Here's the deal. If you've ever tried to grow plants, you know that one uh, obstacle is the weeds and the pests. And there are things in our life that keep us turned from God. Repentance is a very simple concept that's sometimes hard to do. And the simplest way I've begun to understand repentance is that God has already created us in his image. And what he wants us to do when we stray from that is simply return to that. Come back to the place where God wants you. Come back to serving me with your life. And if you're a Christian already, God has begun the forgiveness process in you. He's given you forgiveness. But there are still things in your life that need to be pruned out. And that's what repentance is. 
And so what this means is at least once in the day, you need to have a moment where you're like, I need to not do that. <laughs> as you're flipping through Netflix, trying to decide what to watch, as you're cruising the internet, as you're having a conversation at work or with your neighbor or with your family, maybe there's a moment where you go, I'm gonna do something different. Because the thing I was gonna do is gonna pull me farther away from God, but the thing that I should do is return to where God wants me. That's repentance. And the Holy Spirit helps us in that. Even if you haven't turned your life to Jesus already, the Holy Spirit is still active in helping you do that. And if you have become a Christian and given your life to Jesus, he's right there going, dude, I'm right here. I saw the whole thing. Would you please stop? Or would you please do that? Let's weed the garden. Repentance. Fourth thing, daily worship. Um, This is simple. Like uh, once a day, Set a timer on your phone or your watch or whatever. And when that goes off, you need to ask yourself this question. What can I praise God for today? What can I praise God for today? We spend a lot of time praising a lot of things. You might praise the uh, strawberries and the tomatoes and you might praise and forget the farmer. You know what I'm saying? You might praise, uh, I'm guilty a little bit of praising the Dallas Cowboys sometimes, even when they're not worthy of it. (laughs) And you know, you got a favorite sports team or favorite hobby and I praise that or you just see somebody like, oh, that outfit is so cute. And you just praise that. And there's nothing wrong with all those things. But we praise so many things and don't even take the time to praise the creator of it all. And so let's ask ourselves, what can I thank God for today? What can I praise him for today? I want you to understand that all of these things are acts of worship. So daily worship, if you're doing these other things, you're gonna be doing it. But I wanna, I wanna take away some of the more traditional options. Like I don't mean just turn on K-Love, Christian radio in your car and just listen to the music. That's great, but there's so much more to worship than just songs, infinitely more than just songs. And so maybe by simply taking the time and you can mix it in with your prayer time, what am I thanking God for? What am I praising for? And I'm telling you what, once you, once you open that can, oh, it is like limitless, the things we can praise God for. Um, and, and I want to mention this too. We, we can worship even when it's bad. And there's a song called uh, You Never Let Go that we used to sing a couple years ago. And there's a line in that that said, through the calm and through the storm. We worship God when it's good. We worship God when it's hard. But we can always find something to praise God for in his infinite goodness. Those are the first four. The fifth one, you're going to like the least, but it's going to help you the most. And it is a daily others first moment. When we first began this series, we said we're going to walk the walk, uh, keeping in step with the spirit. There, there are two kind of sides to this. There is uh, the life lived for the flesh, and there's a life lived for the spirit. And when we walk in the flesh, we're putting ourselves in the driver's seat, and we get everything we want. And that's true. But when we walk in the spirit, by definition of what this whole thing in Galatians 5 is teaching us, is when we decide to put God first and others first and us second. As Jesus says, it's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love others as you would love yourself. That's the greatest commandment. So if we are not doing others first, we will not be producing good fruit. We will not. So this is the one thing, at least once a day, have a moment where you go, when can I take a back seat? It might be simple. You're at the grocery store. You see somebody that's trying to get in line ahead of you. There's that kind of, you kind of eyeball each other. Like, I'm going to get there first. I mean, it's a short line. I want to get there first. But you can just be like, you know what? You go ahead. <laughs> it's small. But those small things add up and you begin to do them. And you say others first. And you can serve your spouse and say, look, you know what? You always do the dishes. I'm going to do the dishes this week. And you can go to your kids and say, you know what? Uh, I understand that you got this thing going on. Can I come in and alongside you and help you with this? Can I love somebody? Can I be patient with someone who is, is, is just really difficult to be patient with? 
Can I just take the time to do that and put others first? And at the end of every day, if you can go through in your mind, like, have I put somebody else first today? And if you haven't, it's not too late. Get on the internet or your text message and just somebody, send somebody an encouraging text. This is the principle of putting others first. Jesus exemplified it. We read about it in Philippians chapter two. There's nothing that Jesus is asking us to do that he didn't do first. It says that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who even though he was equal to God, didn't consider that equality with God something he should hold too tightly onto, but he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He took on the likeness of a human being, and he became obedient to that human life, even to the point of death. That whole story about Jesus coming to earth is the example of humility. He put us first. He loved us first. He served us first. And that's a daily challenge. Others first. So daily prayer. Daily one-on-one time with God so you can hear back. Daily repentance. That's pull the weeds. Daily worship where we're saying, God, thank you. I praise you. And daily others first. And by doing this, we begin to stay tapped into the vine. We begin to prune the unnecessary sprouts out of our life so that it can all go into the fruit. We begin to know the farmer more intimately so that as he comes in our life and cultivates that soil and pours the nutrients in, we can begin to come that, become that person that God designed us to be. And what's awesome is it makes a difference in the world. As we end up today, I'm just going to read straight through the last uh, several verses, 5 through 8 from John 15. As Jesus uh, wraps up this teaching, he shows us what actually bearing fruit in our life means to the world. In verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me, you're like a branch that's If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit and show yourselves to be my disciples. And when we begin to let the farmer work in us, when we begin to prune that stuff out of our life, when we begin to uh, tap into the vine, and grow, the world will begin to see who we follow. They'll know we're his disciples. And we can begin to shine that light into the dark corners of people's lives and let them know there is a God and he loves you and he put you first and he wants you to bear fruit in your life. He promises to take care of us. When we do it, it brings glory to the father, the gardener, the farmer, and it shows that we really are his disciples. We're not just showing up to, to wear the uniform on the outside. But there's something happening inside. Let's pray as we wrap up. Father, the song we just sang was that you are good. You are good. You are good. And as we think about you, the farmer, the gardener, I just ask that you come into our lives deeply this morning. Um, it not just be some superficial religious thing, but it'd be like a soul deep movement. We tap into who you are as the creator, that we honor you. That Lord Jesus, that we step back and say, you are Lord and you're master, you're king in my life. We thank you for paying the price, for pulling the weeds, for doing the hard work so that in the, in the end we can produce fruit and the world can see our good deeds but can give glory to our Father. 
We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.